we live in a world that's increasingly divided. All you have to do is have a look at the news, perhaps have a browse on social media, and you can, get, you can just see that there's sharper and sharper lines being drawn between people in all sorts of ways. We're less willing to get along with other people. We often have, want to have less to do with people that might be bit, think differently to us. We're less likely to have friends with different political beliefs or different religious beliefs or different ages or generations. All of these differences divide us more and more. And the tendency is for us all to become further and further entrenched in our own views and just become siloed off among people who conform to our particular beliefs and view anyone who's outside that with suspicion or even hostility. There's always one group pitted against another, one generation against another. Um, black versus white, rich versus poor, left versus right, all these, all these divisions. And it's very easy to despair. How can we fix this kind of division? But this isn't just about society or politics. What does this mean for the church? We're above all those kind of things, right? Aren't we? If only that were so. All too often we bring those sorts of bad habits with us into the church and can sometimes leave the church just as fractious and divided as the outside world. Unity was very important in God's eyes for the church. As Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Now in this prayer of Jesus, notice that the unity he prays for isn't just so that we can be happy and peaceful in our lives. It's not just so that our lives will be pleasant. He says it's in fact central to the witness that we give to the world around us. Central to what we say about who Jesus is, is our unity. So what sort of message does it send to the world when we can't get along as God's people? Now, obviously, this is a much bigger topic than we can ever hope to deal in one lesson. But I want to spend some time today considering what the New Testament has to say about these issues of division, specifically dealing with so-called disputable matters. There are many things that the Bible teaches us explicitly and clearly But the Bible doesn't teach us what to think and do about everything, every little thing. Often these questions call for our judgment. And it can be these sorts of questions that can be the most difficult for us to work out with one another. Now there's two passages that talk about, two main passages that talk about these issues. There's one in Romans 14 and one in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to 10. And they're, going to, they're too long for us to, to deal with together today. But since we're looking at 1 Corinthians next year, and in fact I'm the one that's going to be preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to focus this morning on the passage from Romans. So to set, set us up in what Paul's talking about in Romans, we'll just quickly look at what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where he says, Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So this whole section of Romans needs to be, what comes after, needs to be seen through this lens. Our lives as living sacrifices to God. Living sacrifices as a result in response to God's great love and mercy for us. That's the bottom line we need to remember in all of this and keep in mind. But Paul then continues in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So immediately we see this idea of sacrifice, living as sacrifices, play, in, play out in our humility that we have in our relationships with each other. So we, shouldn't not, we don't puff ourselves up. It's not all about us. We're just sacrifices, remember. Sacrifices for God and for one another. And remember, we are all part together of God's body which is made up of all sorts of people, different people with different ideas, different backgrounds, different personalities and ages, different gifts, different focuses. But despite all those differences, we all belong together in this one body of Christ. And so Paul urges them, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. So this is the attitude that we need to have to each other. And it's this attitude that forms the foundation to what we're going to be talking about today. So as Paul continues uh, a bit later in Romans chapter 14, he says, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, And another person considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so for for the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? 
for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as, as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Now that's a long reading, but let's look at it a bit more closely. Paul begins with this line, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. And that's sort of the crux of the issue. The first thing to say about this is that what Paul describes here is a person with weak faith. What he's talking about isn't an immature faith or a shaky faith, weak in that sense. What he's really talking about is someone with a conscience that's vulnerable to being broken in some way because of some sort of deeply held uh, scruple um, which we'll see illustrated in a moment. So when he talks about those whose faith is weak here, it's not a judgment on the worthiness or value of any of these Christians, as we'll see in a moment. It's about whose conscience is vulnerable. 
The other question this raises as well, what are these disputable matters that he's talking about? What is disputable? Of course, he's not talking here about matters where there's clear biblical instruction. It's not about just anything that we might disagree about or might not like in the scriptures. In fact, the examples that Paul gives here are the two examples, the question of eating whether it's appropriate to eat meat or only vegetables or whether it's appropriate to honour certain days as special or treat every day alike. Those are the examples that he gives of these sort of disputable matters. And I think what these have in common is that they both reflect cultural differences between people. One of the driving issues behind the book, the, the letter to the Romans, is disputes that existed between Jewish Christians, Christians who had been Jewish before they became Christians, and people who had been Gentiles, pagan Romans, before they became Christians. And so because of those different backgrounds, they brought those cultural differences, traditions, taboos with them uh, when they became Christians. And those are the sort of cultural differences that are reflected in these questions we see. It seems that in these examples that it's likely the Jewish Christians who had what Paul describes as the weak faith and the Gentiles had the strong faith, which might seem strange on the face of it because surely the Jews who had known God for generations and had been been worshipping God for generations, surely they would have had the stronger faith. They knew all the background, they knew all the scriptures. Wouldn't they have the stronger faith than the Gentiles? As I said, it's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with maturity or strength or anything like that. It's about their conscience. Should a Gentile Roman respect a Jew's traditions about things like dietary restrictions or about special holidays? Or should those Jews be able to enforce those sorts of customs on the Roman Gentiles? That's the sort of questions we're dealing with. So the reason that the Jews are in the weaker position here is that it's they who have the conscience that can be violated on these issues. The Gentiles could eat anything, they didn't care. It was the Jews who had issues with certain kinds of meats. And again, it's the Jews who were used to honouring certain holy days to God. Um, And so perhaps asking them to give up those traditions would be, to them, seem like dishonouring to God. That's why they are in the weaker position here. But like these questions might seem to us a little bit remote, uh, a bit academic to us today. You know, we don't really have too much of an issue with things like eating meat or vegetarianism, at least not in a way that divides us. But I think it's important for us to remember that we are still a multicultural church just like they were back then. You know, we might have not, not have the same stark divide between Jews and Gentiles that they had then, but we still come from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some of us grew up in Christian families, others didn't. We come from different countries with different cultures. We have different generations reflecting different ages and, and, and cultural ideas. We still have all of these sorts of divides within the church all these sort of questions that we might start to have different ideas about, different deeply held cultures and backgrounds, different consciences on many of these issues. 
that might make us vulnerable to violating our conscience or sinning. So these issues are still very alive to us today. And if you think about the idea of what culture is, if you're talking about cultural differences, often culture dictates things like how we eat, how we dress, the rituals of our communal life together. Those kinds of things often seem sort of superficial. You know, does it really matter what we drink or what we wear or or these sorts of things? And yet, despite that superficiality, they can still affect us very deeply in terms of shaping our identity, our idea of who we are, shaping our idea of what's proper, what's right and wrong, informing our conscience. And so they can become a really deep and important part of who we are and also how we relate to God personally as individuals because they affect the things we do every day. And yet when we come together as a church, all of these different ideas can rub up against each other and cause conflicts because what might be deeply held for me isn't necessarily what's deeply held for you. Perhaps to use one trivial example from the past, you know, perhaps some people might feel it's appropriate to wear a suit to church because it's honouring and respectful to God. Perhaps that's something that they really uh, feel strongly about. And perhaps for some, someone wearing might be happy to wear shorts. It doesn't really matter to them. For them, for some, someone wearing shorts might be distracting, even tempting. Um, but for others, someone wearing shorts might seem disrespectful and distracting in, in the same way. That's a trivially, trivial example, but these things can cause um, issues. You know, at the end of the day, who is right in that situation? Is it proper to wear a suit or not? I'm not here to answer that question, but these are the kinds of trivial questions that can sometimes cause issues because they can be held deeply uh, by people. And if we don't handle those kinds of differences well as people, as, as a church, they can be quite destructive. The other thing to notice about what these disputable matters that Paul talks about is although in many ways they're... Um, they're conscience-driven issues um, that can be uh, put uh, to debate. Paul is still willing to take sides on some of the issues. As he says in Romans 14, um, uh, 14, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. So he says quite clearly that Having a conscience about eating some foods and not others is unnecessary. All food is clean. There's no godly reason to be hung up on the issue of what we can eat. But for Paul, that isn't the point. Who's right or wrong isn't the point. It's, about, it's not about maintaining one standard in, for all in these kinds of questions. What it really is all about as respecting each other, respecting each other's conscience and, dare I say, just loving each other rather than puffing ourselves up and making ourselves more important than we ought. So how then does Paul tell them to handle 
these disputes. Firstly, he says, to be fully convinced in your own mind. And I think what he means here is, firstly, these sort of questions, it's not about satisfying your own whims or trivial preferences. He's talking about genuine issues of conscience, where someone might feel that they're tempted to sin or be drawn into sin or somehow affecting their relationship to God. And so he says, consider these issues carefully and be fully convinced in your own mind, in your own beliefs. Um, It's not just about trivial preferences um, and forcing those on everyone else. And this ties into the next point where he says, do everything to the Lord. Once again, this is a reminder that it's not about indulging our selfish preferences because he's talking about our consciences before God. It's about how what we do, how we, what we do in our lives, living our lives with a good conscience. It's a gift to God. Remember, we're living sacrifices. So what we do is a gift to God. And so what we do needs to be done in good conscience for God. It's not to please ourselves, it's to please God. And so whatever we do, whether we eat something or don't eat something, whether we celebrate something or don't celebrate something, whether we wear something or wear something else, it's all to glorify God. Do it to God, he says, not to suit ourselves. Remember what I said earlier about how these kind of cultural things can be really important for us in our personal relationships with God and how we relate to him in good conscience. But remember, these are things we do to God, but not things we do just because, well, we've always done it or because it's easy. They're things we do to God. And so to use that earlier example, you know, Perhaps we're happy to wear shorts. It's a hot and muggy day today. It makes sense to wear shorts. But have we actually thought about what does God think about what I wear? Is God happy with me to wear shorts? How are other people affected by what I wear? Are people going to be distracted if I wear shorts? Now, how you answer those questions may be different to other people. But what Paul is telling you, whatever you wear, wear it to the Lord. And so think about it. Don't just do it for no reason. So this is the attitude that we need to have to everything. Whatever we do, do it to the Lord. And it, but it's especially important with these kind of disputable matters because it helps us to put things into perspective about what we're doing, why we're doing it. And it gives us that that sort of standard for all of our behaviour. Whatever we do, do it to the Lord. The next thing Paul says to do is to keep it to yourself. Of course, this doesn't mean that we need to be secretive with one another or feel we can't be honest and open with each other. But I think it's a bit like what Jesus says about when you pray, go into a cupboard, don't trumpet it in front of everyone. It's that same sort of uh, humility um, and doing it, for you, doing it between something between you and God, not something that you'd trumpet in front of everyone. 
So don't go around making trouble for other people. Don't, don't wear your conscience on your sleeve and demand everyone accommodate you or agree with you. Because ultimately, Paul says, what's done in private can remain in private. It's not your business what other people do in their own private devotions for God. So don't make a fuss about it unless there's a genuine conflict. Next, he says, don't judge another pers- another servant. When we look around at our fellow Christians, they're here to serve God. They're not here to serve us. Their beliefs, their behaviour in these matters, they're between them and God. It's not our position to judge because ultimately they're accountable to God. They're not accountable to us. They're a living sacrifice to God, not to us. It's not our place to judge. So even if you think it's silly for someone to wear a full three-piece suit in the middle of summer to church, don't look down on them and think... and, and, and uh, belittle them because of their attempts to and their desire to please God. Ultimately, it's something that they do for their, for their devotion to God. It's God's opinion that matters, not yours. And so surely devotion, however that might be manifest, is something that we should respect and honour in our fellow Christians, however um, that uh, displays itself. The next thing Paul says is, don't cause another to stumble. And this is the most important point, because rather than judging each other in these things, Paul says it's our job to get out of the way, not do anything to make it harder for our fellow Christians to follow God in their own good conscience, not to do anything that might lead or tempt someone else into sin or threaten their relationship to God whether we agree with them or not. You know, if my pasty white legs in shorts cause you to sin or to go against your conscience in some way, that's not for me to judge, but it's better for me not to wear trousers if that's the case. It's that simple. That's what Paul says. If it causes you to sin, it's better for me to not wear trousers or not eat meat or whatever the issue might be. Don't do anything to cause your brother or sister to stumble. Remember, it doesn't matter whether it really is or isn't a sin to eat meat or wear trousers or whatever. If someone believes that it is a sin, for them it is a sin. So how dare we lead or tempt our brother or sister into that sin? So the loving thing for us to do is to submit ourselves to them, even sacrifice ourselves for them. And that can sometimes seem like a pretty big ask. Really? Do I really have to give up something like that? Do I really have to wear trousers on a hot, muggy day to satisfy someone else's conscience? It can be difficult. But Paul references the example of Jesus himself where he says Jesus wasn't interested in pleasing himself. That's not the kind of life that Jesus led. Instead, Jesus was willing to serve others, even suffer for others. Jesus showed us what it's like to live as a living sacrifice. And that should be us too in the way that we relate to each other.
The last thing Paul says is that we need to serve the bigger mission rather than serving ourselves. Because really, these kind of disputable matters, they're small fry, they're minor issues. We're called to bigger things. So let's spend our time and energy on those things. You know, maybe it doesn't matter what we eat or don't eat, but what it does matter is how we treat each other. That is the stuff of the kingdom. As he says, righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. Don't let these disputable matters distract us or prevent us from these more important things in God's kingdom. I think a common response to this passage and this this ethic of submitting to, to those with the weaker conscience is, well, if we really do that, aren't we just then sort of pandering to the lowest common denominator? How can we expect the church to grow and mature if we're going to be held back by these weak consciences? How can we be bold or try new things if some people can always exercise some sort of a veto power because of their conscience? Surely that's, that's not going to help the church. But I think that's not a question that bothers Jesus because it misunderstands the real issue. Jesus tells us that the church will be known not for the food we eat, not for the festivals we celebrate. We won't be known for how liberated we are or how traditional we are or anything like that. Rather, in John chapter 13, he says, we will be known by our love for one another. We'll be known by the love and honour that we show each other. How we protect each other and our consciences. How we sacrifice for each other. This, more than anything else, is how we will be a light to the world around us. We can offer a divided world a source of unity, that is, Christ. We can offer a troubled world a place of peace and harmony. This is the kingdom of God. It's a lofty goal, a difficult goal, but it's one that we're all called to as God's people. We need to live before in good conscience ourselves and we need to be sensitive, even sacrificial to each other as we, uh, they all seek to do the same. So just to finish, I just want to reiterate what Paul says there in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.